0: The following message is from the church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. Good to see everybody. My name is Trevor. That would be my daughter who's struggling here at the front. Uh, at least she's cute. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the church of Greer Station. It is a family worship Sunday for us. So if, if you are new with us, Every fifth Sunday, we come together and have all of our kids come join us in worship because we believe it's vital for our kids to see us sing, to see us pray, to see us receive the Word. It's a helpful, uh, long-term on-ramp. Is that we, we you know, we hope they're similarly devoted to these things as they mature and grow in their inner city of Christ and His gospel. Uh, so we're excited to have the kids in here with us tonight. Kids, I want all the kids to look up at me. All you kids, just look at me and say, um, "Snizzle Fritz." Um, yeah, Snissel Fritz. All right, all the kids, look at me. Everybody say Farfug All right, all right, kids. Glad that you're paying attention. All right, kids, look at me. Everybody, all the kids, say this word, sharing. Share. There's much less enthusiastic, not as fun to say sharing. Kids, are, is that one of the words that you hear mommy and daddy say a lot, share, that we should share? Maybe if you're a little older, you hear the word responsibility. I know that word's bandied about in our house frequently. Uh, maybe you hear the word sweet or, or be kind. Maybe that's something that you hear parents say. Or maybe you hear them all the time say, you need to share. Now, as a church, we're studying the book of Acts. And we have arrived at the point of Acts where it's one of my favorite passages. where We receive this summary statement about the church's life together. And what we're going to see tonight is that the church shares, everybody say share, share six things. The church shares six things in this passage. We're going we're to read that here in just a second. But grown-ups, so I'm going to ask you a question now. Tell me if this sounds familiar at all. You download some kind of app. Let's say the app is called Snissel Fritz. You use it once, you forget all about it, and then six months later, you receive an email in your inbox from the Snissel Fritz company. It says, recently we have updated our terms and conditions and as a meaningful part of the Snissel Fritz community, we wanted to be sure that you understood what we were changing our terms and conditions to. As a meaningful part of the Snissel Fritz community, a throwaway app that you used for 14 seconds months ago. As a meaningful part of that community. I was listening to a pastor recently who was talking about the word community and talking about how often the word community is used. One of the things he said he did in preparation for his teaching he went on one of those websites where you could evaluate the frequency of a word, and you could see how often a word was used in published materials over the years. And he punched in the word community. And as you would expect, the word community has exploded in use over the last 20 years. We talk about community all the time. I mean, in fact, last night, I was in, we were in Charleston for a wedding. I got the world's greatest chicken fingers and sauce at Raising Cane's. You guys familiar with Raising Cane's? It's everything Zaxby's wishes it was. No offense, Nick. Raising Canes, and they said, they had, as I was walking out, I said, I'm going to say this in the sermon tomorrow, because it said, our valuable Raising Canes community, you know, we're so thankful for you. And I was like, what, what does it even mean to be a part of the Raising Canes community? Because I would, I would like to be a part of that community if that were an option. The word community is one that is used all the time. But this pastor also mentioned, and I thought this was, was really insightful, that it probably also tells us something about the way that we're wired and about the, the fact that we are starved for something like community. The fact that we talk about it and we see that word everywhere is probably an indication that we were made for community, that that we were created for community, community that's, you know, greater than what Snistlefritz or Raisin Canes even has to offer us. So in our passage tonight, we're seeing community, a thick and a rich and a beautiful kind of community that's rooted in something meaningful. It's rooted in sharing, sharing six things. I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to teach us in this time. This is Acts chapter 2, starting verse 42. And they, being the early church, the disciples, the early converts, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin, that your Holy Spirit would teach us to pray, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand your word. We pray, Spirit, that you would speak to us tonight, that you would work in our hearts tonight. We pray that you would give us understanding about what you were doing in the early church in this passage. And we pray also for these kids who were sitting here just a few moments ago, God, we pray that these 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 presentations and, and these fifth Sunday family worships that they would they would take root in the hearts and lives of these children that they would one day believe the gospel we pray that these children would be saved lord jesus through the through the efforts and the prayers and the preaching and teaching of these parents and these volunteers we pray that you would save these children, Lord Jesus God, we also come to you with heavy hearts in regards to the um, task force report that was published earlier this week about the Southern Baptist Convention and about what was exposed about the corruption present um, in the executive committee's dealings. And we, God, first and foremost, pray prayers of grief and lament on behalf of our brothers and sisters and alongside of our brothers and sisters that make up the Southern Baptist Convention. We pray prayers of grief and lament on behalf of those who were victimized and abused through what took place. God, we come asking for your mercy. We, we ask that you would continue to bring sin to light. And by your mercy, God, would you and by your Holy Spirit convict us of sin, convict our convention of sin, convict Southern Baptist churches of sin, that you would expose and bring sin to light, that you would not allow, that you would not allow sin to take root in us. And, and God, that you would, you would purify the church for your name's sake, Lord Jesus. We pray that this would be an opportunity for us to evaluate our own hearts and for us to, to, to stamp out any, any hint of sexual sin any hint of immorality that is in our hearts, God, we pray that you would, you would expose that so that we could stamp it out by your spirit and by your mercy. And we pray again for those um, who were victimized and abused and for those in our body for whom this news was really, really challenging. God, we pray, God, of comfort that you would comfort them and, and that you would give us wisdom as a convention moving forward on um, how to proceed with the recommendations from this report. We pray uh, for the annual convention on June 14th and 15th in Anaheim, California. We pray that your spirit would lead the convention to make wise decisions regarding these recommendations and, and we pray once again, God, that you would be merciful. We pray also um, for your mercy to be present in the community of Uvalde, Texas. And we pray, God, we, we pray not even knowing what to pray and trusting that your spirit does intercede for us with groans that are deeper, for word, deeper than words and we pray For comfort for those families, we pray for comfort for those teachers. It is a gut-wrenching, heartbreaking tragedy, and we pray, uh, God have mercy, Christ have mercy. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and bring an end to these tragedies, God. We pray tonight as we consider your word, and as we receive your word, that we would receive it with glad and generous hearts, and that you would knit us into the kind of community that is present here in Acts chapter 2. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are studying the book of Acts, and the book of Acts, we've said, can be described as the unique story of the founding of the church, where we see the unfolding of the Father's sovereign plan to send his spirit to create and commission a people to make Jesus known. In Acts chapter 1, we're told that Jesus has a final bit of teaching about the kingdom with his disciples before he ascends to the right hand of God, where he sits reigning forever and thrown on a throne of grace, as we sang about just a moment ago. And then in Acts chapter 2, we're told that, the, that Jesus being enthroned at the Father's right hand pours out his Holy Spirit on his people and commissions them uniquely as his new covenant people. Last week we saw in Acts chapter 2, in Peter's sermon, Peter offered an explanation as to, as to what was happening in their midst. That the coming of the Spirit and the indwelling of the church by the Spirit The meaning of this was that Christ had been enthroned as Lord in Christ, that Jesus, the crucified one, the one that you crucified, was made Lord over all things, and he is indeed the Messiah. I know every couple of chapters, you'll get these really crucial moments in the book of Acts where Luke offers a kind of summary as to what's taking place. It's almost like Luke is signaling an important hinge moment in the book, and this little summary statement in Acts 2 is one such hinge moment. He's given us a summary as to what the life of the local church looked like during that stretch. They shared six things, starting in verse 42. It says that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right, kids, everybody, say teaching. Teaching. They shared six things. The first thing was teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? Well, it's probably exactly what we saw last week in Peter's sermon. It's the apostles working through the Old Testament and showing, you got to imagine this is just like light bulb city, showing like this passage pointed to Jesus, and this passage pointed to Jesus, and this passage was about Jesus. They were teaching about Jesus' identity. They were teaching about Jesus' commands. They were teaching the stuff that they themselves witnessed Jesus do. It was the two great commandments. It was love God and love neighbor. It was the Sermon on the Mount. It was Peter talking about that time he was rebuked where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter's Peter's relaying all of this to the early followers of Christ. It was reminiscing on the healings and the miracles and the walking on water and everything else. By the way, kids, if if the kids get antsy, it is totally fine. I, I was telling somebody earlier that the alternative to having noisy, antsy children is to have no children, right? So we much prefer, much prefer being in a church where there's a problem of a lot of noise created by kids, and that's totally fine. If you need to get up and walk to the back and pace a little bit, totally fine. We love it. We absolutely love it. Now, Peter was telling these stories. He was talking about all the things that Christ did. It was all of the stuff that eventually came to make up the rest of the New Testament. It was like, what, what they're teaching here is the Gospels in the New Testament in seedling form, essentially. It was going through the Old Testament, like Peter's sermon last week, and showing how Jesus brings completion to all of it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and devoted themselves to understanding who Christ was. That was the first thing they shared, was teaching. The second thing we're told that they shared was fellowship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves also to fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Fellowship. What do you think of when you hear the word fellowship? Maybe for some of you, we're getting there, Ben. Maybe for some of you, you think potlucks. Maybe for some of you, you think KFC buckets that we share communally. Maybe others of you think more like Lord of the Rings. Now, I would argue that the Lord of the Rings, the idea of the fellowship of the ring is probably more in line with what Luke has envisioned here. We'll get to the potlucks and the KFC buckets in a second. What Luke has envisioned here is folks who who share a a common life together that's built around a common cause. They're devoted to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The word, this translated fellowship is, is the Greek word koinonia, and it most basically means something like participation or life together. The idea here is that they devoted themselves to a mutual life together. Like Frodo and Sam and Aragorn who come together around a common cause, they have a deep devotion to the cause and to one another. This is community. Now, we talked about a moment ago how all of us long for community and probably the uptick in the use of the word community is symptomatic of that. And Acts holds out a really sort of compelling picture about community. We'll see that again and again through the book. But something that's worth pointing out is also in Acts, community isn't the end in itself, fellowship is not necessarily the end game. In verse 46 of this passage, it says that they were in the temple together. That word together is in the Greek means something kind of like having one accord. It, 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 it's, it's probably kind of clumsily translated together, and it probably is better something like they were all on the same page is more of the idea. This word reappears later on in the book of Acts. You know when? It's when Paul disrupts the, the city of Ephesus by his preaching of the gospel, and it says that all of the, the city of Ephesus came together came together in one accord to oppose Paul the Apostle. All right, so the word together is used later on to talk about people who are conspiring and coming together for fellowship for all of the wrong reasons. So fellowship isn't necessarily the end game. It's worth noting that the first thing that we're told in this passage is that they shared teaching. They shared teaching, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that that was the first thing that's mentioned. And the reason is, is because unity around Jesus and his gospel and his way of life precedes and is the foundation of everything else. Apart from devotion to Jesus' teaching and the teaching about Jesus, there can't be community. There isn't fellowship. There's first a commitment to Christ and secondarily to his people. Now to be clear, you have to have Both. You've got to be, you've you, you got to, you, to love Christ is to love his bride. You've got to be committed to Christ and his teaching and also to one another. And so I'm not saying that we can't have incredible and rich and, and deep friendships and relationships with all kinds of people. Friends at the gym, friends at work, even unbelievers. Even unbelievers can find a sort of home here amongst us and in our lives. But what I am saying is that those with whom we share the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ, who share the teaching of the apostles together, That is a different breed of fellowship altogether. One that slices across every socioeconomic status, one that slices across every life stage. There's a kind of fellowship and vision here that's deep because its roots are Christ. So the first thing they share is teaching. The second thing they share is fellowship. The third thing they share is tables. Everybody say tables. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread, possibly, even likely, probably most likely, is talking about the Lord's Supper. But oftentimes, the early church would take the supper as a larger part of a meal together. It was called a love feast. They would come together for these meals, and they would cap off the meal time with a time of taking communion together. Table fellowship was a crucial aspect of Jesus' ministry, and we see table fellowship continuing in Jesus' earliest followers. How often is Jesus seen eating in the Gospels? It's like all the time. And it's like the early disciples picked up on Jesus' cues and continued that exact same pattern. They continued eating together. Back to the potlucks, back to the KFC buckets. That is a holy, precious, good, ancient practice. When we make buffalo chicken dip for members' meetings, we are living in continuity with the ancient apostolic church of the ages, right? They shared tables together. The fourth thing we're told they shared is prayers. Everyone say prayers. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. There was a communal expression of their love of God through prayers of adoration, through prayers of confession, through prayers of supplication, all of the above. This phrase, devoting themselves to prayers, also probably included singing. We're told that the earliest Christians came together together. to to fellowship with one another, to receive teaching, to break bread together, and to pray slash sing together. I love that some of the earliest depictions of the earliest Christians are almost exactly the same things that Christians are doing even today. Coming together to receive teaching, to break bread together, to fellowship with one another, and to pray and sing together. Some of the things that they were singing, which I love, are these psalms. These psalms, like Peter referenced last week, they're probably psalms that many of these Jewish Christians knew from their childhood, but have now taken on a completely new meaning in light of Christ, and they come together, and they sing passages like Psalm 16, and they realize that this has been about Christ the entire time. Or Psalm 110, these songs that we've known since childhood are about Jesus, and they come together to pray and to sing and to do responsive readings, which is how the psalms were used in synagogues during that time. They came together to do all of that in light of Christ. And they did that together, communally. They shared prayers. The fifth thing, and this is just money, so good. The fifth thing they shared was possessions. Everyone say possessions. Verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Those who believed in Jesus had all things in common. It says, they shared their belongings. Mikasa, Sukasa, su My stuff is your stuff. What's mine is yours. They shared their belongings and they, they went so far as to willingly sell their possessions to support the needy brothers and sisters in their midst. It's beautiful. Well, Aaron mentioned a couple of weeks ago when he was teaching on the, the, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. That Pentecost was where they celebrated the Feast of Weeks, which was prescribed in Leviticus 23. And in the Feast of Weeks in Leviticus 23, one of the things that the, the people of Israel are, ex, are explicitly instructed to do is to not reap all the way to the edges of their fields. In other words, they were to, they were to, they were to leave margin in their possessions so that they could care for the needy in their midst. And it's noteworthy that Luke mentions that they're selling their possessions and caring for one another here in Acts chapter 2 because probably what he's saying is that the church is, is the, the complete kind of fullest expression of everything that Leviticus anticipated. The church and their grace-fueled generosity and kindness and, and, and uh, willingness to sacrifice, to, to care for the needy, this was the, the fulfillment and completion of the Feast of Weeks. They had everything in common, the rich and poor were sharing. They were acting like one large extended family, which is such a beautiful picture. Now it's worth noting here that this was a purely voluntary, grace-motivated kind of generosity. This was not compulsory, this was not a denial of private property, this is not mandated redistribution of wealth, but it's an open-handedness as a result of the spirit being unleashed in their midst. It was a it was a the the, the grace of Jesus selling on their hearts and it loosened the grip on their stuff. And created love for brothers and sisters that resulted in generosity. There's a fourth century preacher, a guy named John Chrysostom. They call him the golden tongue because of how good of a preacher he was. He said that this was not a reckless throwing away of money, as if they had contempt for wealth. This is even better than that. It's a generous and wise distribution to those who had need. This isn't hatred of goods, this is love for brothers and sisters in Christ that compelled these early Christians to be open-handed with their possessions. So they, they shared teaching, they shared fellowship, they shared tables, they shared prayers, and they even shared their stuff. They shared their possessions. And The last thing they shared, awe. Everybody say awe. Not that kind of, A-W-E, awe. Awe. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 43, look at this. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with a glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The picture is is that there's something so beautiful and remarkable and momentous happening here that Christ has created this new community by his Spirit that it results in people's jaws dropping at God's generosity and brilliance behind all of it. It's the power of these signs and wonders the apostles are doing, it's the power of the fellowship, it's the power of the potluck, baby. It's the power of common life. It's the power of these opened, generous hearts. It is clear that God is doing something in their midst. And it led to people being saved, people being drawn in. It says the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. People were magnetized to what the church was and what God was doing through the church. So Christian, if you've believed in Christ and you've received the Holy Spirit, and you're walking with Christ, and you're a part of the church, we need to read this passage, and we need to feel instructed by this, maybe even challenged. We are called to a life together, and we are called to a life together like this. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 style. Called to life together like this. Sharing these very things with the same brothers and sisters that Christ has given you, that he's given me. We're to share these things together As a church family. And one of the things that we we long to be true of TCGS is is we want there to be an otherworldly kind of community here. We want there to be a thick and a rich and a delightful, even beautiful kind of of presence of the Spirit that manifests itself in sharing these very six things as a church family. And so let's ask ourselves about each of these things. How are we doing, how, how do we compare with the early church? When it comes to the first item, sharing teaching. Are we devoted to the Apostles' teaching? Let's ask this of ourselves. Are we devoted to the Apostles' teaching? Are we devoted ourselves to the the New Testament, to the Scriptures more generally? Do, Do we see our community here as being a place that's grounded first in Christ, not movie preferences or life stages or whatever else, but in the teaching of the Scriptures about Jesus and His gospel? Are we devoted to the Apostles' teaching? And one of the things that we like to do is walk through books of the Bible where we, we try to do our best to, to take verse by verse what the scriptures are saying because we, we want it to be said of us that we're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the scriptures more generally. What about you personally? Is, is that true of you? Are you devoted to the teaching of the apostles? And it's something I'm, I'm super encouraged by is we have a group of men. This was, not, this was not something that was started by any official program of the church. A group of men who come together once a month and just study doctrine together. They're just like, we, we want to we better understand the Bible, and we want to just better understand theology, and we want to better understand God. They approached one of our elders and said, oh, wise elder, would, would you teach us? Would you just help us kind of think through some of this stuff together? We have a group of men who are devoted to that, just because they want to grow in their understanding of the teachings of the Bible. And I love it. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? What about the second item? Are you devoted to fellowship? Do you know and love the body? Do you know and love a body? Maybe you're not a member here. Do you have any local body that you are invested in? Or is this a kind of commodity that you come and consume before you slip away into the ether? It's a worthwhile question for us to consider. How often do I actually attend church? What what is my monthly percentage? How often am I present in the church gathering? Does my belonging here or wherever I'm a member look like belonging? Or does it look like something less than that? One of the things that we believe deeply in is, is making commitments to membership. And the reason that we commit ourselves to membership is we recognize that we are fickle and that apart from some kind of commitment, we are going to have a tendency to recoil, recoil away from community, to not devote ourselves to the fellowship. I heard this quote from a, a, a guy. He's just some dude. I don't, even, I don't His name's David Brooks. He's a journalist. I happened to hear him make this quote, and I thought it was brilliant. He said this, Commitment is falling in love with something and then building a structure of behavior around it for when love falters. Which is such an outstanding quote. But for us, when we think about membership, we want to commit ourselves formally to a body so that when love falters, we've got the commitment that we can hang our hat on. The commitment that motivates us to keep investing and to keep investing and to keep devoting and to keep devoting so that we look like the early apostles and the early Christians devoting themselves to fellowship. What about sharing in tables? How often do you have people into your home? Maybe you're introverted. That's outstanding. It just means you start at a different place than the extroverted people. It's, it's a little more effort for extra people to, extroverted people to read books. It's a little more effort for introverted people to have people in their home. But the, uh, the, the hook is still on each of us to develop a heart of hospitality and to pursue people to share tables with them. I was eating dinner with the Farrells two weeks ago. And there's so many things about the Pharaohs that we could brag on. But I happened to notice their family calendar. And I was exhausted by seeing how many names were on their family calendar of people that they were going to be having over for dinner over the next couple of weeks. And I was like, that's a sermon illustration. And I I commend you, church. Be like the Pharaohs in that way. Strategically open your home to people. Prepare to open your tables and, and to break bread with brothers and sisters. Make it a habit. How often do you open your home? Do you initiate people to grab lunch or coffee? Do you extend hospitality? How can you build rhythms intentionally to practice this? What about sharing in prayers? Do you pray? Does your prayer life look anything like devoted? Could your prayer for the body and, and, and for your, your life with Christ and for your children, if you have children, could it be described as anything like devoted? Uh, another member I want to celebrate is Elisa Bridger. Elisa is like the, the, the Jedi of, of building prayer rhythms into her life. She's like Yoda or Grogu or whatever. We rely on her you know, tremendously in, in, in leading out our Wednesday morning prayer. We come together every Wednesday morning at 7.30 a.m. to devote ourselves to prayer together, to pray for the needs of the church, to pray for things that are burdening us. And we, we invite you into that. Come pray with us if you have that flexibility. What about the fifth thing, possessions? Have you ever, sold, have you ever gone without so that someone in your community could go with is your is your heart open like these early Christians in generosity and a willingness to part ways with your stuff so that our brothers and sisters who are in need can have things? What does your giving look like? To the church, sure. But, but maybe even better, to brothers and sisters who have need. Are, are you responsive and reactive to need and a willingness do you, do you have a willingness to give sacrificially? I know of a family in our church who are serial debt payers on behalf of people. I know of at least two occasions where they have paid down people's debt for them just because they're generous and just because that's the kind of people that they are. God has blessed them financially, and so they want to give and help brothers and sisters in need. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your, what your bank account looks like. We are called towards generosity and open-handedness. Does this describe you? And the last thing, are you in awe of all that God has done In the church through the gospel through giving us a spirit and through creating a church god hasn't granted us signs and wonders like he did with the early church and by god's grace we would accept it if he did if he chose to do that but it's probably not the normative way that he works but are we standing in awe of local bodies like ours as to god's purposes for us That God uses not gifted individuals, not conferences, not parachurch organizations with huge online platforms, but local churches of ordinary average folks like us. God uses us to advance his gospel and to extend the kingdom. The power is not in us or in the stuff we do, but in the spirit of God active in our midst. And are we in awe of what God has done and is doing through us? Now each fifth Sunday we come together and, or each final Sunday of the month, we come together and take the Lord's Supper together. It fits perfectly with this passage as these brothers and sisters demonstrated the breaking of bread. And I love how the passage tells us multiple times that they share in this common life together, that they do this together, they do this together, and they do, do this together. But it all centers around the breaking of bread, as if the bread was broken in order that they could be brought together. And the Lord's Supper tonight, what it reminds us of ultimately is that, that we share, not just in these six things, but we share in Christ. We share in Jesus. The breaking of bread, brings us together, and that's exactly why Jesus uses the, the, the bread and the wine to describe his flesh and blood, because he was broken and pulled apart so that, brothers and sisters, we could be brought together. We could, we could come together and have common life together in Christ just a couple of moments, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read our liturgy portion that frames out the Lord's Supper. Jim, uh, one of our elders, and I will be posted up at these different tables. Um, we're going to invite you forward when you're ready. Um, after I our, after our read our liturgy portion, we're going to invite you forward as you're ready. There's a gluten-free option available in the wooden boxes if you need gluten-free bread. Take the bread and the juice, and then go back to your seat, and we will take it all together uh, once everyone gets the elements. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have indeed created this community, this specific body, God. We thank you. We thank you for TCGS, and we pray that we would strive more and more and more to look like what we see here in Acts chapter 2, that we would not brush it off as some unattainable standard, that it's just the early church or whatever, that we would see that as our call and we would press in to have that kind of life together, God. We pray that we would share in all of the things that characterized the early church, the generosity and the the, the open tables and the opening of our homes. We pray most of all that we would share our common life in Christ, that we would see that the same blood that was shed for me is the same blood that was shed for them. The same body that was broken for me is the same body that's broken for them. And may God we be nourished and enriched by knowing what you have done for us in Christ. I pray for any folks who are in our presence tonight who have not yet believed. I pray for these kids. I pray that they would one day believe in Jesus, that they would repent, be saved, be baptized. We pray for strength for these parents who are plugging away day after day after day, raising up these heathens and trying to teach them about the gospel and trying to be patient and trying to love them and and, and trying to be compassionate towards them. We pray for strength for these parents. And we pray, God, that you would Uh, once again, work out by your Spirit just a, a richness and a sweetness to our community that is attributable only to you, God. We pray that you would bless the taking of the elements here in the next few moments. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed be in our midst. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.